Hey, good morning once again. My name is Glenn. Uh, great to be with you. If you have a Bible with you, and it would be a good idea, we are going to bounce around a lot, but we are going to come back to the passage where we were in last Sunday in uh, the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1, somewhere around verses 26 to 38 at some point. So you might want to put your finger in there. Otherwise, for those of you who are with us for the first time uh, or visiting today, we are in the second Sunday of our Advent series, which we've titled this year, When God Came Down. And uh, we, we do this uh, every year. We do an Advent series just to get us whoop, refocused on what is actually going on uh, in our faith and why, why it's Christmas in two weeks today. And uh, so this year, I had this idea that the, I feel like the Holy Spirit, who we're going to be talking a lot about today, put on my heart. And that was, why don't we look at Christmas from the perspective and the Advent and the coming of Jesus from the perspective of the Trinity? of the Godhead. Isn't that interesting, right? Like, what, what participation did God the Father have in Christmas Day, the arrival of his son on the first Christmas 20, 2022 years ago? Well, we looked at that last Sunday. So if you weren't here, a little bit of a reprise in a second. You might want to watch the video or listen to the podcast from last week. Today, we're going to look at God the Holy Spirit. And then next Sunday, and if you see from our outline, it's going to be God the Son. So we'll get to Jesus next week. Amen? And, and then also on Christmas Eve, which will be interesting. So last Sunday, we took a, a look at the Trinity. We looked at this, this word that, of course, you don't find in your Bible. But we know from uh, uh, just the, you know, years and years of, of revelation from the New Testament and actually the whole Bible that our God is triune. Our God is one God manifested in three distinct and real persons. It's a little hard for us to comprehend sometimes. People ask, well, would you explain that? And I'm like, <clears throat> I'm going to let him do that when we get to be with him, okay? Because there's all kinds of analogies and all the rest of it, but it's, it's just true. And so we find that re- revealed to us in Scripture that they are three persons, uh, each fully God, not one more God than the other, each fully God, um, fully equal in every way as well, and yet as a result of their unity of spirit, their unity of spirit, they live in a loving community where each has a distinct role. And that's also remarkable, where there, there is actually also a mutual submission that they model for us, people who need to learn something about that, right? It reminds me of our First Peter series, right? Remember that? Okay, we're going to be back into that in January, so maybe you just want to forget about that for Christmas, because that was interesting. So we traced it last week all the way back to Genesis 1. You guys all know this, just a quick recap this idea of the Trinity, and we saw that in Genesis 1 where we see the words, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And that word God in the Hebrew is the word Elohim, and it is plural. And so right there in the very beginning of our Bibles, we get this. And and again, as I mentioned to you last week, this kind of, the the people of Israel kind of missed that. They, They saw it, it was in their own language, but the idea that God was triune and that there was a God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that was a mystery to them in those days and times. And so the word God is, as I said, plural is Elohim. And so we see this in the very first words. And then right after that, we see this, this in verse two, and we're going to get into it today, the spirit who's moving uh, over the, the formless and void world. It's dark, it's chaotic looking. And then we hear the son, the word of God declare, let there be light, speaking creation into existence. And then finally, we saw in verse 26, where God the Father speaking, we would assume, says these words, let us, 
plural. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing. He made all of this, all of that for his glory, but also for us. (laughs) Isn't that remarkable? What a gift. What a gift. So with the Trinity established, we also learn something that surprises some today. I had a few people mention this to me after the service, but it surprises some people. And that is the fact that before the foundation of the earth, before the creation, before the foundation of the world, the cosmos, the universe, etc., God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit existed as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You see, I think that that's important for us to understand as we go and look at the rest of the Bible, because I think there are times when people look at that, hear about that, and they're like, hey, I'm not so sure. Really? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And so we saw that. And so last week we looked at the Father. We focused on God the Father, his role throughout history, specifically how in the Old Testament he kept kept promising. (laughs) Right after the fall, he kept promising, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to fix the problem. And I'm going to do that by sending a Messiah who's going to be my son. So I want to pick up from last Sunday's last few verses at the point where the angel Gabriel, remember that in verse 26, he comes to Mary. He surprises her with some rather interesting news, right? He comes to her and he says, first of all, by the way, you're favored by God. So it starts off really good. In other words, favor, grace has been bestowed on you by God, the Father, which is nice. But she's going, he tells her to become pregnant. And she's a young lady, 12, 13, 14 years of age, we, we believe. And that she's to name this son Jesus, and that, here's a surprise, he is going to become the son of the Most High, the Messiah, the Son of God. Well, at that point, Mary has some questions. So I'm just going to read the text for this morning and then pray one more time. And Mary's question to the angel is, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, also has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Yeah, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, uh, we, uh, as we sang today, we welcome you here today. We welcome you and your presence here today, Holy Spirit. You're, you're here anyway. We, we, we know that, but we just want to acknowledge that that we, we welcome you. And in fact, uh, Holy Spirit, we, I pray, we pray this morning that you would manifest your presence to us in a really special way. Because today we want to we talk about you. We want to um, see your participation in the birth of Jesus as part of the Godhead today. So we pray uh, your blessings over us, Heavenly Father, and Lord Jesus, we thank you for everything that you have done for us, and Holy Spirit, we pray 
that you would bless our time together this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So as I mentioned earlier in the announcements, 14 days, right? 14, I can't, I can't do it. 14 days until Christmas Day. So my question for you this morning is, for those of you who are visiting, I like to ask questions, and then I try to answer them. But the, the question I have for you this morning is, are you into the Christmas spirit yet? <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't know. It's actually an interesting phrase when you think about it, right? Because I've been thinking about it uh, this week. You hear it bandied around quite a bit, right? Um, it's an interesting phrase. Uh, we see it printed on Christmas cards, the spirit of Christmas, right? And, and we see it on doors and in malls, of course. Are malls still out there? I don't know. I haven't been to a mall, mall in a while. Amazon's kind of taken over in our family. But anyway, sorry to, sorry to say that. But, but really, it, it's promoted out there, right? The spirit of Christmas, right? And so it's... We see this thing. It started immediately after U.S. Thanksgiving. There seems to be a rule out there that, you know, after U.S. Thanksgiving and after Black Friday and Cyber Monday, it's okay to play Christmas carols in malls and shopping centers and stores incessantly every day nonstop, right? Apparently that's okay at that point, and, and I, I guess so. I don't know. It can become interesting. A few weeks ago, uh, I don't know if you noticed it, but in, in our downtown of Squamish, the, the Lights got all changed and put up, and there's, there's all these lights and, and hanging out there, and it's like, it's all about generating this idea, this, this spirit of Christmas, right, with the lights, which is great. It's a great thing. And then just a couple of weeks ago, it was on December 3rd, we had the, well, this year it was called the Holiday Parade. I won't get too much into that, but, you know, here we have, and actually, I don't know if you know this, but the Downtown Squamish Business Improvement Association is really the sponsor of that, and a lot of the floats you will have noticed that went by were businesses, right, which is great, but it's all about, you know, like, and we all came out, the town comes out, it's incredible if you're visiting Squamish to come down on that parade, because I remember the first year we moved here, and I was like, oh, is this all of Squamish here? It was, it's huge, and so it's, it starts getting generated, right, December 3rd, and of course, the parade ends with that guy in the red suit, right, which is, which is awesome, it, it's all about this and everybody's getting excited, and I am too. And, you know, of course, uh, I, my wife, she said to me again, on December 2nd, I think it was, you better go get a Christmas tree. And I'm like, it's December 2nd, it'll be dead. But, you know, and she goes, but there's a supply chain problem, and they won't have any in a week. I was like, okay, so off we go to get a Christmas tree, and we get it in, we get the lights on, and we have, you know, eggnog and everything else, which is a family tradition, to get the thing up, right? And then I'm realizing, oh my goodness, all my neighbors have beat me to the punch again. I don't have my lights up yet. But why are we, why are we doing this? Well, come on. It's fun. It's a fun tradition. It's fun. But it's... Is it, are we manufacturing this a little bit? This spirit of Christmas thing? There is one way, however, in which we all, most of us anyway, who are blessed enough, and I'm glad that we were focusing on that a little bit this morning, blessed enough materially to be able to celebrate and get involved in the spirit of Christmas by giving gifts to one another. That, that engenders a certain spirit, right, of Christmas, I would think. But again, the question is, what is the impetus even for that, right? I, I, let, let me put it this way. Christian, I know, if you've been to Sunday school, you know the answer, right? But I wonder at this time of year, I wonder, does our world understand why we put up lights, why we give gifts? And so the gift of giving is an amazing thing. That is actually why, what I'm just highlighting as an introduction, 
why we do the Advent series over here. That's why we actually do it, you know, is we want to remind you, whether you're Christian or not, but we just want to remind you specifically as Christians, as followers of Jesus, of what the real meaning of Christmas is, because you know what? We sometimes need that too. But the reason for that is so that we will go tell and share the real reason for Christmas, the true spirit of Christmas, the gift of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Savior of the world. And I also want to suggest to you today that our Christmas tree actually on December, whatever the date actually was, 2022 years ago, had more than one gift under it. I don't mean to diminish the Lord Jesus, but we have also been gifted by the true spirit of Christmas. I'd like to look at that with you today. His name is God the Holy Spirit, and the title I want to give to the message and to him is, He's the Giver of Life. The Giver of Life. So as we begin our look into him, God the Holy Spirit, let me ask you another question. Here's one good one for you. Do you know him? He reveals himself in Scripture. He's revealed as him. Do you know him like you know the Father and Jesus? Do you? Again, when I ask you questions, I've already asked myself, right? And so I I think it's pretty easy for us to say, well, you know, like everyone knows that the whole idea of the Christian life is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Tick the box. We're good. Well, with Jesus, it's relatively simple. If you've you know, I mean, if you've seen The Chosen or any movies or whatever depicting the life, you see this, this person who's, you know, usually got a beard and longer hair, and, and, uh, and, and you can identify because you, you, you realize, well, yeah, Jesus was a, a human being. He became man, and, and so we, we can picture that, and he, he became one of us. And so having a personal relationship and, and, and loving and worshiping Jesus, I, I think for most people is a no-brainer. That, that's, you can picture it. I think it's the same with the Father. It might be a little bit more of a challenge, um, especially for some of us who've had those maybe difficult father relationships. Um, but by the same token, um, even those of us who've had really good or not so good, we, 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 we've maybe seen other father relationships that have been fantastic and wonderful, and they've been very loving and compassionate and strong men. Need more of those today. And, and so we can, we can also see that in God the Father. We can see, you know, although he is spirit, we know that from Scripture, he is spirit. He manifests as a flaming fire and in a burning bush and various other things at times, but uh, we can still picture him, I think. But then it comes to the spirit, and um, how about that? What's your relationship with the Holy Spirit like? How do you picture him? How do you experience him? Um, I have several books I went through my library. I've actually got several books on the Holy Spirit. I figured as a, I'm just going to put it out there, as a person who came late in life to small c being a charismatic, small c, uh, later in life, I should say, um, I I just, you know, it was Jesus and the Father, and we know there's the Holy Spirit. But I went through my library as I was preparing for this, and I was looking at them, and I've got one book. It's actually a fantastic book about the Holy Spirit, and the title of the book is, where is it in my notes here? The title of that book is Father, Son, and the Other One. (laughs) It's a great book. 
It really is. And obviously, it's tongue-in-cheek in in his title, right? Because he's saying, kids, wake up. The Holy Spirit is significant. So truth be told, let's be honest. I think it's harder for us to picture a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. And yet, I want to show you a little bit more about him this morning. He is the one who did the work of regenerating you. He's the one of the Godhead who did the work of regenerating your heart, the soil of your heart, so that you would receive forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. He did that. I like to put it this way. He's the one who resuscitated you, brought you back to life, like spiritually alive. He's the one that did that. He's the one who gave us new life, and he is the one who lives inside of us. He's that one. He's that person. We don't have time this morning to do a deep dive into him. I'd recommend a few books. You can ask me about them afterwards. Father, Son, and that other guy. That's a good one. You could read that and learn about it. But just a couple things, right? First of all, he's a real person in the exact same way that Jesus and the Father is. He is equally God with the Father and the Son. He gives power and he empowers. He continues the work of salvation in us. You are justified when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. You are saved from the penalty of sin. And then for the rest of your life, you still need the gospel. You need to be sanctified. And he is the one that does that work in you and in me. He is the one that does that. He gives revelations from the word of God. Not new revelations, but he gives revelations from the word of God. He's the one who inspired it. He's the one who illuminates it. He's doing that work. And you know what? The Father and the Son are good with that because they sent him to do that. He guides and directs us. He gives us assurance and comfort. We are told he has emotions. He grieves. He grieves for us. We can grieve him. And so he cares about us a lot. So let's get to know him better this Christmas, okay? Because he's part of the story, a big part of this story. So we saw in Genesis 1 that God the Father is the one who initiated the creation of the world. And then just a brief appearance of the Holy Spirit is in verse 2. Look at these words. The earth was without form and void and darkness over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, listen, I've read this passage, I don't know, a thousand times at least. I've preached on it. I've read lots of books on it. And it's, it's a mysterious verse. For even theologians and commentators are like, what's going on here? He's like, he's kind of moody. <laughs> and and you've got to understand, like, the, the cosmos is made, the earth, the lights are there. Well, not yet, sorry. The, 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 it's dark and it's chaos and it's filled with water. There's no earth yet. It's not, it's not formed. It's void. It's empty. There's no life. That's an interesting point. So these words, as I said, are are somewhat mysterious. I I think this is a good time in our series, actually, to uh, go over one of the great creeds of the Christian faith with you, because it might help explain a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. Uh, The creed called the Nicene Creed, which is the one I want to recite with you this morning, uh, was formed by the Council of Nicaea in 325 Common Era, or AD for us old old sticklers, okay? And... uh, It was actually uh, a creed that was given and was written because uh, it was was to refute or address a heresy, 
which was called Arianism, which claimed that the Son of God was not eternal, but that he was created by the Father. And so like heresies have been going on since the day Jesus died and rose again. I mean, they, they go on. And so the early church was like, we got to address this one. This is a biggie, right? And so they did address it. And so the earliest creeds were really very simple versions of what most churches use today, which would be called statements or confessions of faith. So it was a very simple version of that. And the main reason why creeds were important in the early church was first, listen, to clarify true Christian teaching and doctrine. That's why they were introduced. But there was another reason. The other reason was really actually most important in those days. They were created because they were very memorizable. Not too long. You could memorize them. You'd come to church in a gathering and be part of the liturgy, and everybody would recite it every Lord's Day. Often they would do this. There was another reason why they did that. People did not have printed Bibles in their hands. So besides addressing heresy, it was so that people would understand at least the basics of the Christian doctrine, and they could leave, and they go, what, what did Paul say in, that we got quoted to us from Romans today? Because I don't have a copy of that. What did he? And people would remember, but the creeds were really important. So I want to read the Nicene Creed with you. You can recite it with me if you want, if you can keep up, okay? First stanza is this. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and all that is seen and unseen. This is our Trinity, and this is God the Father. Next, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Well, that addresses Arianism, doesn't it? Very well. More about Jesus. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. Very important fact within creeds. It's historical fact. Pontius Pilate is named. That's why he's named, because it's historical. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. (laughs) At Christmas, that would be awesome. And then we read this. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Look. The Lord, oh, and the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. And then finally, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Catholic is simply universal. I was raised Roman Catholic. That's not what it's saying. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Everybody say, creeds are awesome. They give us a basis. There's more because there have been more heresies. And so when we got to the printing press and the Reformation, more things were dealt with. And that's why we have confessions of faith today, but the creeds still are foundational and in most cases really helpful. So as we return then to Genesis 
chapter 1, verse 2, the picture of the Holy Spirit hovering over the face of the deep, the earth being void and without form, we can conclude a few things from this. That although there was material earth and cosmos, there was no life. However, as we will see today, it is the Holy Spirit who brings life to this universe. The Father initiated creation. All things were spoken into existence by the word of God, by Jesus. But as creation starts to unfold in the first six days of Genesis's recording of history, all of a sudden, after all of the earth and all of the material things are created, all of a sudden there is life breathed into the nostrils of Adam and Eve as well. So it's a critical thing that we see the Holy Spirit is the one who breathes this life. So that's exactly what happens at that point in history. And in a similar fashion as we learned last week about the Father, the knowledge and experience of the person of God the Holy Spirit was, it was not something that the people of Israel uh, really understood. They, 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 they didn't see it. Now, we have the benefit of what? 20, 20, 22 vision, right? We're, we're 2,022 years, well, almost, from the cross, And we can look back at all of this and all of the things that Jesus said in the Gospels, all of what is written in the New Testament epistles and letters and go, okay, we get it. Well, they didn't. So he wasn't revealed in exactly the way that he became revealed, especially at the birth of Jesus Christ. And so it's interesting. But when we look back on the Old Testament, just a couple of keys for you. Probably the most significant key is the prophet Isaiah. He says three things in his amazing prophecy that point to the Holy Spirit. He speaks about a Messiah who will be a man, who will be filled with the Spirit. And he declares in chapter 11, verse 2, this will not be on screen, but he declares this, the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. So the Spirit of the Lord will do that. And then in chapter 42, verse 1, it's like the words of the Father speaking and will will say this, I have put my spirit upon him. And then finally in chapter 61, verse 1, virtually the words of Jesus Christ himself, where we hear the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And that is exactly the verse that Jesus quotes. Do you remember that? When he goes to his home synagogue? And he's the homeboy, come home to preach the first good sermon, and they bring out a scroll. And what scroll is it? Hello. And then Jesus says these beautiful words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Oh, of course they loved that sermon, didn't they? That was incredible. They're like, he's our boy. No, they wanted to kill him. Because soon afterwards, all of a sudden they're going, that was really, hold on. He's claiming to be the Messiah. Because he said, in your presence right now, this prophecy is fulfilled. Oh, hold on. And so they wanted to kill him. So again, uh, like last week, we saw the God, the Father. He promised many things that came 100% true, and will still come 100% true. Same with the Holy Spirit. It's incredible. These promises should then remind us, which we saw in Isaiah, 
But these promises should remind us of the angel's words then to a bewildered Mary, right? And this will be on screen once again for you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child who will be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. So again, we, we, we have the appearance in a really, really interesting way, like never before really in the history and in the reading of the scripture of the Holy Spirit. He's giving life in her womb. And that life is the God-man, Jesus Christ. Now, speaking of Elizabeth, right? Six months before Mary receives her visitation from the Holy Spirit and from Gabriel, he, he gives life, and before he gives life to her soon-to-be-born son, Jesus, Elizabeth's hubby, remember him, Zachariah? He's, like, he's an interesting character. We read that in, in, the, in the Gospels as well, that he's, you know, he's doing the work in the, in the temple. And then he's told, he's told by who? Yep, the angel Gabriel, that he is, and his barren wife, who's 90 years old, are going to have a son, right? He's told that, and Zachariah's like, <laughs> come on. And so uh, the angel Gabriel strikes him both mute and deaf, which is interesting. But he told Gabriel this about what the Holy Spirit was going to do about his son and for his son, who he's to name John, who would become John the Baptist. And we read this declaration from the angel. And by the way, he must not drink wine or strong drink. So most of you didn't want to sign up for that job, right? And look at this. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. This is a historical event. This has not happened before that I know of in the Scripture. It's the first time in the New Testament in history to this point, for that matter, where a person is filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. It's a very interesting point. A lot of good study could be done on that in maybe Missional Community Group this week. So he, he never heard Jesus preach. He was never baptized, but he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled. And he has the Holy Spirit empowering him throughout his whole life from that point. So that's really interesting. And it's key. He has the Holy Spirit at that point, before he's even birthed, and for the rest of his life. Now, after Mary's visitation from Gabriel, she runs off, of course, where? I've got to go visit Aunt Elizabeth, because this is ridiculous. It's amazing. She's 90 years old, and she's going to have a child, too? Of course, and, and she wants verification, right? Am I really pregnant? Am I? And, of course, again, you know the story. She gets to Elizabeth's home. She gets inside, Aunt Elizabeth! And then we read these words in verses 41 and 42 of Luke 1. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb leapt. And Elizabeth, hello, look at this. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so hold on. She's got John the Baptist baby in her womb. He's already filled with the Holy Spirit. And now she's being filled. I'm just pointing this out for you, okay? It's just, this is the Bible. I'm just reading it, helping us hope. 
see something wonderful here. And she explained with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So let's just take stock here. We have Mary, Elizabeth, John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit. And so let's not forget Jesus, who's in Mary's womb, is filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Who from the very moment of his conception, the Holy Spirit rests upon him. So months later, John the Baptist is born, and Zachariah, his father, who I've mentioned to you, uh, was mute, mute and, uh, and deaf. Um, it's, it's at the point where he's born, John the Baptist is born, and people are pressuring his mother to name him after Zechariah, Elizabeth, to name him after Zechariah, or some family name of tradition, right? And she's, she's protesting, no, no, he's, his name's got to be John. And, and finally, like, Zechariah, you can almost imagine he's playing charades, like he's trying to, give me a tablet, I want to write it out. And all of a sudden, he gets his voice back, and he declares... He's to be named John. And then we read these words. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, and you can read it. It goes on in verses 68 and following a fantastic prophecy about all of the fulfillments of God that are going to come true through his son and through the Lord Jesus. Because why? He's filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is empowering him, is enlightening him to the truth of all these things. So, I want to bring us to a conclusion here this morning by showing you a couple of other things related to this. I want to leave you with these thoughts as you go. We know from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that both John the Baptist and Jesus lived their whole lives 100% of their lives. John's was pretty short. Well, Jesus was pretty short too, right? They lived their whole lives with the power of the Holy Spirit. It was fully on display. Every miracle that Jesus performed, no man can do that. Every miracle that he performed, every act of grace and mercy and love and kindness, every powerful sermon, every parable, oh man, everything. He was fully dependent in all those ways and in all those episodes on the power of the Holy Spirit in him. The Holy Spirit was with him, and he was with him until the very end. I've always wondered, and I don't know if I can prove this to be true. Do you remember his last words on the cross? I've always asked, and when he felt maybe there was going to be a separation between him and He says, my God, and then he says, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's interesting that, why didn't you just say, my God, why have you forsaken me? Could be a reference. But just before Jesus ascended to heaven, he's risen from the dead, and just before he ascends to heaven, he calls his disciples to him. They're like, what's going on here? (laughs) Okay, you lived... We, we believe in you. You know, then you die. But you're, you're risen from the dead. You've been with us for like 40 days. And it's, it's unbelievable that what we've seen again, you know, where are you going? 
Well, he tells them that he needs to go. He's told them that before in John 14 and 15, why he needs to go. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. And then we read in Acts where it says this, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he talked about in John 14 and 15. And then he said, You heard this from me. For John baptized with water, but you, you, not just the twelve, the the, the disciples, probably about 120 at that time, they were all there. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You do know what happened like five or six days later, right? Yeah. Many assume that and I heard this taught many times when I was a younger Christian that the Holy Spirit arrived in a miraculous way on the day of Pentecost. I hope you've seen so far that, no, no. <laughs> He's been around since the beginning. But the truth is, oh, did he show up on that day? Did he not? How is it described? Like a rushing, loud wind just blowing right through the place. And then tongues of fire appear above their heads. Like every one of them. Every single one of them. And then we read in the scripture, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Settle down, okay? It's okay. It's a gift. As the Spirit gave them utterance, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So the day is just getting started, however, isn't it? Can you just imagine? That's powerful what happened there. Peter, the guy who denied Jesus three times and then was reinstated lovingly by Jesus and told to go feed my sheep, he stands up and he preaches the most amazing sermon of all time. And, and it's, it's, it's a sermon where twice he, he, he emphasizes, listen, I'm saying this because I love you and because God loves you and because the Holy Spirit has empowered me to say this, but you killed the Messiah. Twice he, does it. he says it twice to them. And they respond and say, brothers, what do we need to do? They're cut to the heart. What do we do about this? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you, here's a promise, will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Friends, um, here today and maybe watching online today or later, I, I, I want to ask you this at Christmas. Have you done that? Have you repented? <laughs> Have you confessed that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's Lord, that he died on the cross in your place and for your sins? Have you received the gift of Christmas? How about the gift of the Holy Spirit? Well, if you've received the gift of Christmas, you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if not, if, if not well, you can do that this morning. There's no secret to it, right? You don't have to rehearse a prayer. You don't. You, 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 need, you need to do exactly what the Scripture says. Repent. Admit you are a sinner. We all are. We still sin. 
and you need him to save you. And you want him to give you new life. You want this gift of the Holy Spirit. This Christmas, and for every Christmas that follows. And so then if you, if you do have the Holy Spirit with you, and again, we've heard a few people say this today, things can get tough. They can. But can I just encourage you with this? The Holy Spirit never leaves anyone who he's, whom he's entered and is living inside. He never left Jesus, and he will never leave you. Amen? Let's pray.